this morning what we what God's put on my heart to speak about is um, is is a serious uh, topic and a serious situation. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, on a call, uh, and I, I, I'm part of this statewide team that's working on a statewide project. And they had asked me uh, to present to this new group that it was all by video conference, since we can't all get together right now, but on a video conference, for me to present on behalf of our group to another group about what we're doing. And as I was doing that, um, you know, I spent time preparing. We went over, you know, points and PowerPoints and presentations and what we were what we wanted to present and talk about. And about halfway through the conversation uh, and, and presentation, I realized things were going a bit awry. Um, and so I was speaking to people from Lexington, Louisville, from across the state of Kentucky, and, uh, and, and it just didn't go how I thought it would go. And, um, you know, people weren't really buying in. They were challenging a lot of the things we were thinking about and saying and doing. And, uh, and by the end of it, I was pretty flustered, and, you know, I got off and Beth said, how'd it go? I said, yeah, really not, not, not good, not good at all. And as I thought more about it, uh, I realized what had happened. And this is, to, this is just to speak from one small example for me. But I realized that the people from Lexington and Louisville because I was from Eastern Kentucky and I was trying to present on a statewide effort, they kept saying, well, we know it's that way there. And I kept trying to say, no, I'm talking about the entire state. But they couldn't, they couldn't wrap their mind around the fact that I could be or someone from our area, from Eastern Kentucky, would be presenting and speaking about a statewide issue. And I realized I'd experienced something called bias. I'd experienced something that they could not look past where I was from to hear what I had to say. And that, for me, was uh, uh, just a moment where I went, okay, that, I get it. This, this, just, this, this, this in no way compares to what we're getting ready to talk about today. But it gave me insight into the privilege I've had of being the color that I am and the, the life I was born into and not had to push back against that type of bias where but just because of who I was, what I looked like, where I was from, the color of my skin, that it didn't matter what I had to say, that there was no value placed on it. And bias is, uh, racism is a form of bias. Bias is things we believe uh, about a certain uh, situation. It's a set of beliefs. Racism is when it's acted out. Bias is about you know, and in general, racism says, you know, one color, the way you look, one race is better, is more superior, or inferior to the other. Now, we're going to talk about this this morning. I'm going to share um, some additional stories uh, just from my experience. Um, and we're going to look to the Bible and see what it has to say about this. And then we're going to say, all right. God, what am I supposed to do about it? How can I impact? How can I affect this? The, the beautiful thing about bias is that the God we serve, uh, Jesus Christ experienced it himself. If you remember the story in uh, John chapter 1 where, where Jesus calls Philip, and Philip runs to get Nathaniel, I think it was his cousin. He says, Nathaniel, I got somebody I want you to meet, Jesus of Nazareth. 
if you remember what Nathaniel said, he said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? So Jesus himself experienced, you know, he came from a place. He came from uh, a, a, a family that were blue-collar workers, construction. He was, uh, uh, they worked in, they worked in uh, um, carpentry. Uh, they were not seen as the higher-class citizens. He came from that point and that perspective in his life. He pushed back and had to push through. And so the Bible teaches us several things about that. There's one verse I want to just start us with before we dig a little deeper that points us and says, you know what? Racism is wrong. Bias is wrong. Favoritism is wrong. Impartiality uh, is wrong. Partiality is wrong. And we've learned this. Just the last two sermons, three sermons in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus taught us one about criticism and judging people and making quick judgments about people based on how they look or act or what they do or some one action they had, taking one, one thing in their life and broadly applying it. Jesus taught us not to come with this judgmental attitude, but yet with a compassion, uh, compassionate attitude. We, taught, we found last week that he, he taught us not to just avoid doing bad things to other people that we wouldn't want done to us. He called us to dig deeper and do good things. He called us to do unto them. He called us to do unto them what we would want done unto us. But here in this verse, uh, this is James chapter 2, verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, or if you read another translation, it may say partiality, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. We find the Bible is clear that sin, partiality is wrong. Jesus spoke against it in many different instances. This verse uh, here in Galatians chapter 3, it says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. It says, Thee there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. God calls his church to be united. He teaches us that racism is wrong. He teaches us that bias is wrong and is a sin. Here's what I want us to understand. Here's what I want to speak to and the, the difficulty and to, I'm going to speak to our community here, our people here, um, and just from my heart, just for a little bit. I grew up in, uh, in Sayersville, Kentucky, primarily uh, a white community. In all the years we were in school, 12 years there, when I graduated from McGoffin County High School, uh, I can remember maybe two black students being there. Uh, one was in sixth grade. He came. Uh, he was there for a year. I remember he was a uh, he was a hilarious guy. We we, we loved it, um, and, and he would always uh, he was always cracking jokes, and he would always make jokes about uh, his color. And uh, you know he would he would say things you know even in a j joking way he'd say oh you just didn't you just didn't, it's because I'm black and if the teacher got on to him and he, he would say stuff like that and I didn't understand the context and looking back now. 
uh, I'm confident it was because he was struggling and dealing with the perspective and the way that people treated him because of his color. I grew up in a pretty much all-white community. Uh, there was a time when uh, I was in high school, and um, I began, uh, I started playing music, and I fell in love with music. And actually, when I started listening to music and I played the piano, uh, I, I, I fell in love with lots of different, uh, you know, black musical artists. I loved Ray Charles. I loved B.B. King. I loved blues. I loved, you know, uh, eventually got into black gospel, and I started loving this kind of music. And, uh, and when I was a senior, I went to all-state jazz tryouts in Louisville. My band director took me down there. Uh, and I remember when I was auditioning, there was a there was a the guy that I was competing against was just an incredible pianist, a jazz pianist, a black guy. He went to a school there in Louisville that focused on music. Uh, and I remember thinking, and I remember him looking at me like, "You're coming from McGoffin County, and you're playing jazz piano in an all-state jazz audition." And and but we hit it off. We found common ground. And uh, he ended up beating me out. He was way better than me, uh, very deserving of that. Um, and and, and but just at that point, I began to see music as a way to connect and be a bridge uh, between uh, myself and people of color. And it became uh, an opportunity. And what I found is that differences can be beautiful. You go on to the next year after I graduated high school, Remember, coming from prim- primarily an all-white community, and I want you to understand, this is what I want to say as a, as a point here, is racism exists in our community. <laughs> it exists in our region. It exists in our country. It exists systemically. But most importantly, the Bible teaches there's a danger, and every one of our hearts have the capacity to build out bias. And this is why Jesus taught about it so much. It's why he did teach his disciples about it. It's why when, when, when he spoke to the Samaritan at the well, his disciples couldn't believe it. This is why he spoke into it, because it has the capacity to bear hearts, and it's real in our region. I grew up here in neighbors. I heard people, extended family, inward, all the time. I heard to the point that they would say, they're take, I remember plain as day hearing somebody Say they're taking over the TV. It's not been that long ago in the city of Pikeville. Three generations maybe. Four generations where slaves were bought and sold. We cannot pretend like it does not exist here and have some remnant. We know not that long ago there was a church in this county that uh, uh, that made the decision to ban interracial marriage. We've heard conversations. We've heard discussions. I've heard people say, well, what if your daughter marries a black person? Literally, I've had people say that to me. I come from all that, not really knowing what the world looks like, having a great close-knit family that always taught me everyone was created equal, had value, and they, they exhibited that. And yet I saw it in the culture around me and I saw it in the community that that wasn't true for everyone. 
And so I came to college, uh, first moved into what was Pieville College, then I came up. I never really, you know, I'd been, I'd traveled some on vacations and to see family and other places, but, you know, not been out much. And I, I got there, and I started to move into my, my dorm room, and I, I walked in, and I see all these clothes hanging in the closet. And guess what? They don't look like my clothes. <laughs> they look different than me. I see the stuff sitting around the room, and it looks way different than me. I had no idea who the person was. Hadn't seen them yet, hadn't met them yet. But I got so scared of different that I refused to move in the room. 18 years old, scared of different. I refused to move in the room. Went down, just got scared, so I'm going back home. I, I don't know if I can handle this. And I went back downstairs. I took my key. I gave it to the, the dorm director, and uh, I said, I'm not, I can't do it. I can't, I can't, I'm not going to move in here. I don't remember how I said it. It was probably uh, like a scared little kid. I may have just dropped it off and ran. I don't remember, but I remember getting in my truck, and I remember driving back home. And um, I came back up for freshman orientation. I was just going to drive from home, and I remember um, – uh, I, I'd gotten the name of who my roommate was. I said, all right, I'm going to give him a chance. I'll, I'll find him and I'll talk to him. Um, and, and maybe this could work out because I had other friends I'd found out that were going to be living up here. And so came back for freshman orientation, and I met uh, a guy named Nate Brown. Nate was a uh, um, – uh, he was from Louisville, uh, and, and he was black. And I remember we started talking – I had no preconceived notions or prejudice whatsoever, and I began to talk to him, and we began, and he ended up, he actually played music, he played saxophone, and I played piano, we, we ended up hitting it off, and I got all my stuff, and ended up moving in and lived uh, in, uh, lived with him for, for one semester before I ended up doing uh, something totally different that I'll talk about in a second. But in that time, taking the time to, to listen and get to know someone and understand where they're coming from and the challenges he had growing up in Louisville with a single mom, the barriers that he faced, the struggles that he had, the time we spent together, I made a friend. And I learned a lot. And I learned primarily that differences are a beautiful thing. Rosie, as we were talking to her this week, her little girl, she's 10, and you know, she hadn't seen anything about the recent incidents with George Floyd and uh, Breonna Taylor. She had not been watching the news. She had not seen any of this that was happening. And Bethany and I decided you know, we should probably at least talk to her about this. And, and so we talked to her about George Floyd, and we talked about that situation, and we, we tried to, as, as best we could, explain to her uh, what had happened in Minneapolis, and we, we explained, uh, you know, the, 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 the reason he was, he, he was uh, beginning to be arrested in the first place, that they thought he had, you know, tried to, tried to pass a, a fake $20 bill or fake 20, fake $20, and, um, and, and how they'd, they'd come to arrest him, and he, 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 and we don't know all the details, but anyway, he ended up laying on the ground, and, 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 and that the officers had him held down and that one had their knee on his neck and literally he was asking them to stop and saying, I can't breathe. 
And as we were telling Rosie this, and that she was saying, well, did they stop? Why would they not stop? And, and we said, no, he didn't stop. And actually, he didn't stop when uh, he actually stopped responding. And for several minutes past that, they still didn't stop. And at this point, my 10-year-old daughter bawling and crying, saying, why? I don't understand. And that's a hard question to answer. Why? And the answer is because the human heart has a tendency toward bias. And because it has a tendency toward bias and racism, we can, we can point, we can easily see how man can get in his mind that this person is this way, is another criminal, and all of a sudden they're not human to him anymore. That they place no value on their life, whether it was because he was black or because it was another criminal. Whatever it was, it was devastating and it was wrong. And even our 10-year-old daughter knew that is wrong. Racism exists. I heard the, uh, um, the story uh, once from a, a, an event I was at, and the, a speaker was there. Her name was Marion Wright Edelman. And she told a story of how when she was a, a kid, and she was, she, she's been a, uh, a, an activist for some time, uh, she was the, the, the first uh, black person accepted in the Mississippi bar in the 60s as an attorney. Um, and so she is just fantastic resource of information but she was talking about a time when she was when she was little she uh her, her sunday school teacher had taken her to a department store and she ended up drinking from the wrong water fountain right segregation was still going on uh and and she drank from the wrong water fountain she got scolded by the uh, person that worked at the department store and to hear her this many years later 60 years like 70 years later talking about that story and for me when I was sitting there and hearing it made it real again another another time God used a circumstance in my life to show me the value of human life and so she got scolded and then she made a joke of it which I enjoyed she said so from then on and I think this was a testament to where she was going to go in life and things she was going to do she said every time I saw that I switched the signs around and so she'd take colored and white and switch it around, and eventually they'd find out. Um, and she was already beginning to make a difference. I'm going to ask you just as we talk about this and as we work through and say, well, what do we do with it? I'm going to ask you first to examine your heart. To, to ask yourself, or, or, and here's what we're tempted to do, and here's, what, here's what's kind of dangerous is we say, well, I'm not racist. People say, well, racism's here, and you say, well, I'm not racist. But then we have tendencies, and we say things, and even, even subconsciously sometimes we exhibit things that show our bias against people that we disagree with or that we don't like the way they look or you know, whatever it might be. And that we might say, I'm not racist, and just saying those words is not enough. Maybe we're not living it out. Maybe we're just saying that because we've not done anything bad, but we've not done anything to go out of our way to be good and make a difference. 
You see, Jesus in the Bible teaches over and over that we're to look at someone's heart. God looks at the heart. Racism is core. It's criticism of being judgmental. But it's refusing to take time to look at the heart. You're, you're formulating an opinion of one person based on uh, uh, of, uh, or you're taking what's happened in one situation, broadly applying it to a broad group, and it's just not right. God says we should take time to look at the heart. We know he teaches that it's wrong. This is another example with Rosie. Several years ago, we uh, we were in St. Louis. This was two years ago. And we've tried to do our best to take time to inform her, educate her, talk about the history of why things are the way they are. And while we were there, we were staying not far from what was called the old courthouse in St. Louis, not far from the arch. Um, and this is the building. That room is, uh, is the courtroom above, but similarly reconstructed what it would look like and what is known as the Dred Scott case was first heard in this building. If you don't know the story of Dred Scott, you should look it up. You should share it with your children. Um, but this was, this was a case uh, where Dred Scott and his wife Harriet, they had sued for their freedom. Uh, they'd been slaves their entire life. They were married, uh, and they wanted to, to get freedom, and, and it, it, it went through 10 years of trials, I think, um, and eventually made it to the Supreme Court of the United States, where Supreme Court justice basically brought down the opinion that said slaves don't have the right to sue because they are property. This is in our country. Slavery, known as the original sin of America, that they literally, uh, and, and I don't want to get too far into the history of this, I'm not a history teacher, but they literally for over 400, it's been over 400 years since the first slaves landed in America, and and, and, and they, they looked upon these people as beasts, as not human beings, as doing them a favor that actually it was better for them rather than them living in their home in Africa to make them slaves here. That happened in this place. It's our history. Rosie couldn't understand when we were trying to explain to her. This is this is where that started, and it's a it's a beautiful story if you go read it all through and understand how it all plays out. Really, this case, many historians uh, will argue, it eventually led to the Civil War because one man stood up. It's a beautiful story that you know the Supreme Court says no, you can't get this, and and it ends up Dred Scott and his wife, their current slave owners, actually sell them back to the the uh, the descendant of their original slave owners who them then gives them freedom. They were fighting with them. They wouldn't pay for attorneys. They believed they should have freedom, so they did find their freedom. We stood on this courthouse, on the same courthouse, on those steps. On a, uh, in estate sales, they would walk out, and they would sell people. To stand there and know that that happened in that place in our country, it needs to speak to us. It needs to tell us to avoid 
the past. The Bible is full of truth that says our past does not have to dictate our future. And as we stood there, I remember Rosie crying and she was reading different stories and seeing the picture of the people and just not understanding how we can be, how we could ever, how we could ever get in the mindset that this was okay. We've shared and we've saw in the Bible that racism is wrong, that bias is wrong, that it is sin. We've seen that it exists in our community. And we've seen it has the capacity to exist in our heart. That's where it starts. It doesn't get to the community without starting in somebody's heart. And what I'm asking today is for us to examine our hearts. Let's start there because racism can be erased. It's not going to be gone from this earth forever. That, that's not what we're talking about. I would love to see peace in our country and not an ounce of racism left. What, I, what hurts me more is to see racism in the church. And to see people who share a joke that seems funny and it's not. To say things about interracial marriage and say things like this. This is one I've heard before. How could you do that to a child? I've heard that. How could you do that to a child? We've seen it in our own community at Pikeville College. has brought a great amount of diversity to this town. And I've had friends, interracial marriages that have come from that university that have had to leave the state to find peace because their families would not accept it. It's not okay. It's in our community, but it starts in our heart. And today we're going to deal with it. We're going to examine our hearts. So what do we do? How do we deal with this? How do we address it? One beautiful thing, verse from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. This is what heaven's going to be like. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. When, when John saw heaven, when he looked into heaven, he saw people from every nation, from every tribe, with every language, united, standing together, worshiping God. There is no, nothing more like heaven when we are a diverse group of believers anchored in Jesus Christ. When we have people from all kinds of different backgrounds, from all kinds of different races and ethnicities and cultures. See, Christ can bring all that together in the way that nothing outside of him can so we have to look to him to change our heart, examine your heart. Let the lives of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, let these things shine a light and say, you know what, it's not just there, it's here. And let's ask God to deal with it. The second thing I'd say is to be a bridge builder. Let's not just be content with saying, I've not done anything bad. Let's find ways to be intentional, to take initiative, to build friendships, to reach out, to communicate 
in real and sincere and, uh, and deep ways. Let's be the leader. Let's take initiative. And you can do that in your own family. I read one study while I was preparing for this, and a psychologist said, you know, if you don't teach your children to be racist, or if you don't teach your children to not be racist, they will end up being racist. It's not enough just to let it go by and not be racist. It's we've got to dig in and teach them. Teach them the history, why this is important. Never had to teach Rosie. She's loved anybody and everybody since we since she was since she could run and laugh and play. Doesn't understand it. But the culture around us, if we're not intentional in teaching her that continue, like, yes, yeah, you're doing great. That is exactly how it should be. Shouldn't matter. You should love everybody. You should learn from them. You should be with them. Difference, different is beautiful. We can be bridge builders. Sat down one time at, when I was living in Columbus, Ohio, which was a tremendous experience for me. Um, I was there for about six months and um, lived and worked in a primarily black community. And uh, they, they got a kick out of me. I got a kick out of them. You know, I worked in this, this, it was like a blockbuster video store. Um, and it was almost all, all the customers pretty much were all black. And, uh, I mean, they, they would uh, constantly asking me to talk. They loved my accent. They would say, will you say that again? Say that again. Say that again. They'd be bringing their whole families over and getting me to talk. And um, I began to build friendships and relationships and understand where they were coming from. And they understood me. And, you know, they didn't know what a mammal was. And I had to explain to them. They said, what's a mammal? <laughs> and we got that figured out. Um, and, uh, but one time I was sitting at, at, at Sam Ash Music, a music store up there, and I'd always go in on my free time and, uh, just play around on keyboards and guitars, whatever. Y'all know me. That's what I like to do. Uh, and this black guy came in and sat down and I mean, he was just killing this organ. He was playing it. Um, and I remember thinking, that guy's incredible. And I just started watching him. And uh, and I always wanted to sound like that. Like I wanted to have I wanted to have soul. I'm, I, 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 my, my piano teacher used to always say, Beethoven didn't have swing notes. Uh, if, if y'all play music, you'll get a kick out of that. But anytime I was playing classical music, I'd still try to put like I'd put the wrong rhythm in it because I wanted to have that type of rhythm. I remember sitting down with him and and just listening for a while and saying, Man, how are you doing that? Will you teach me some stuff? And uh, I remember him saying, man, I don't know. I just play, I just play the black keys. <laughs> and he, he had no idea what key he was playing in, uh, but he was incredible. But he'd grown up playing in church, and I asked him about playing in church and how they taught one another and their culture, and we became friends and played some music together. We sat there for an hour or so, and he taught me some stuff, and I showed him some stuff, um, and we found value in one another. So let's take the initiative, be the bridge builder, educate yourself and your family, talk to your children about this. Please talk to your children about this, because here's what I believe. Here's, here's what was on my heart this morning. This is wrong. It exists here. I've experienced it. I've seen it around us in our community. We know it is here. I believe we can be the generation that changes it. 
But it's going to take all of us. It's going to take the church as a family getting intentional, having conversations at the kitchen table that are difficult, that are hard, and, and doesn't just pretend like it doesn't exist and we're, that we're not silent on the issue. We have to talk about it. Now, listen, today I'm talking about a difficult thing. I'm not an expert. I'm laying out what's on my heart. This, uh, I, I'm, Jesus isn't going to fall into a political party. I can promise you that. Our God is way bigger than that. I'm not going to say everything right, but I'm talking about what's on my heart and what I care about. I believe we can be the generation that changes this. I believe we're called to be the generation to change this. I believe the change starts in the church that change starts in not the building the church, but in those who have had their hearts regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit and have the ability to overcome bias and see it and point it out and say, that's not right. And the Bible says that we will be known by the way that we love. Are we known by the way that... We love when you're in conversations and you hear people start telling jokes and they start talking about stuff. Be the one that speaks up and says, "Hey, that's not right. Let's not do, let's not go there. Let's not do that." Be the leader. Take the initiative. Speak up intentionally. Demonstrate in our lives the right way to treat people for our kids. I want our generation to be the one that confronts racism, that communicates it to our children. The equal value of every human being. But I want to do more than communicate. We were talking last night, Bethany and I and uh, some of our friends about, you know, we remember growing up singing the song, Jesus Loves the Little Children. I want to do more than sing that song. I want to do more than say those words. I want us to live it out. I want us to demonstrate it. I want us to examine our hearts. I want us to take the initiative. Because here's the, here, here's the beautiful thing in James. Let me find it here. Yeah, James chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I want to close with this one thought that uh, truth about myself that my grandfather uh, was a police officer. He was originally from Sayersville, from McGoffin County, was in World War II, and then got a job on the police force in Washington DC when he got out of the mil when he got out of the army he served on the police force in Washington DC during the civil rights movement i grew up as a kid when he retired he moved back to Sayersville on the old home place the farm built a house and retired 
I grew up as a kid in the 80s and 90s as my papa living next door. I heard some stories about what he had gone through and what had happened. He passed away when I was in high school. I'd love to go ask more stories now. But he came back to eastern Kentucky because of the bias he had developed. I can remember people saying he moved back because they, and I don't, I don't know if he was the one specifically told me this, other people told me this, because they were taking over the neighborhood talking about black people. He came back with bias and racism. I'm here today in eastern Kentucky. He moved back here because of that. And I'm reminded of what Joseph said, that, that, that you, the devil, you meant this for evil, but I will, God used it for good. It is here. It is real. It is wrong. And we have to be the change. Where's the change start? In your own heart. You, you, the first step is admitting, yeah, it's not just other people. I got, I've got a tendency. And maybe it's not just about race or color of skin. Maybe it's about people in the criminal justice system. Maybe it's about drug addicts. Maybe, maybe it's about people who live in, in the, the housing uh, development as, a pro, as opposed to the, the gated communities. This, this culture, this tendency, this warfare back and forth of, of setting value upon people about what color they are, how much money they have, where they come from. God created all of mankind. We are all his creation. We all come from Adam and Eve. We're all from the same family. He, Jesus Christ came so that whosoever would come to him, he opened up that path to salvation for everyone. We find that in heaven we're all going to be standing around the throne together, worshiping our God, our creator together. If we want it to be like heaven on earth, we got to get together. And stop pushing back. I think the church can inform the conscience of our culture, but that's not our primary role. We can't, we can't change the culture by new policy and rules. And, and we can advocate. I'm not saying we shouldn't advocate for just policies and to make sure that there's not things in our government, in our businesses, in our churches even, that create difficulties for people to engage and be involved and move up in life. We should take those barriers out every chance we get. But even if you set all the structure and the system right, you're still dealing with human beings implementing that system that have a heart. And the way you change them is the gospel is to remind them that I'm broken, you're broken, and they're broken, but we all have a Savior. In Jesus Christ, the one who walked from Nazareth, who everybody said, what good can come from Nazareth? 
who was crucified on a cross unjustly, who can resonate, who stood with those who couldn't stand for themselves, who, who consistently sought out the marginalized and the ones that nobody else cared about. Even his own disciples would try to push people away. And, you know, the blind guy that was trying to get to Jesus, he was saying, be quiet. They were saying, leave him alone, leave him alone. And Jesus always hushed his disciples and said, came to heal the sick. You see, he came to reconcile us to God. And in doing that, the Bible says he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That because he can reconcile our relationship with him, we can begin to reconcile the relationships with other people that have been broken. Maybe not even by us, but by people like us. That we can actually care about what has happened. And give our best effort to do good. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In Romans chapter 12. There's a passage of scripture 9 through 21 that says love in action. Let me read it to you. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share the Lord's people who share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God, you've called us to action To live out our faith. God, to identify brokenness in ourselves. And you call us to do one thing that can change all of this. And that's called repentance. That's the acknowledgement that we've done wrong and that we are broken and that we have sinned. And that we're going to change our mind. We're going to change our ways with your help. We invite you in, God, in this repentant moment for everybody right now that's listening, that's praying with me. God, we just want to come to you. We want to seek you and with your help. God, we want to do better. God, we do not want to be content with the fact that we've not done anything bad. We want to be discontent with the fact that we've not done enough good. 
If love is going to come in our community, if it's going to win, it's going to come from the church. Your people. God, we know the greatest responsibility of those who have accepted grace is to extend it. But sometimes we struggle. God, walk with us. Convict us of the ways we're messing up. Give us the ability to change. And God, let more people drawn and let them be seen. Let us be seen as those that love one another. So we'll be known as your disciples. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Oh God, how I 
We're going to wrap up uh, this morning's service. I appreciate you for joining. Uh, I'd love to hear if this conversation, if this message has reached you, if it's touched your heart. Uh, we'd love to hear about it. Send us a message, comment on the video, um, message us on Facebook, email us, send me a text, give me a call. Uh, we believe this is a turning point. We believe this is the time that God has brought us to this point to acknowledge things we've been ignoring. And uh, and we're going to own it. We're going to accept it, and we're going to do better. You know, Beth always says, do what you know until you know better. Um, and I think that has great application here. God is showing us the way. And uh, I pray you share it with your children. You, you take intentionality and take ownership in your own family saying let's start it here at this family unit this generation things are different we'll do it together as a family as a church as believers in Jesus Christ because that's the direction he's pointed us I pray you have a great week again if you want to join us online go to our website uh, there's a link you can RSVP and a phone number you can call uh, we're going to take um, you know, we need people to, to, to do that RSVP because we don't want to get here next week and have 80 people and then have to close the door. We want you to know before you come that there's space for you. Um, so please do that. Let us know if you plan on attending. And we'll need each person in your family unit. Please list them all out. Tell us how many will be in your party so we can keep track of that. And we will be working toward being prepared for a limited in-person attendance next Sunday morning, June 14th. Um, in the meantime, we love you. We thank you for joining. Carry this message. Overcome evil with good. That's straight from God's word. We got to do that together. Thank you all. Have a great and a blessed week.